Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Changing Faith Podcast. If you can believe it, we are just a couple of days away from Thanksgiving, and we are just five days away from the beginning of Advent, the traditional season observed within the Christian tradition, awaiting the birth and the arrival of Jesus. And it is this season of Advent we're going to contemplate together today, and I can promise you we are going to do this in a refreshing way, in a renewing way. And I say that because we have with us on the podcast Scott Erickson, also known as Scott the Painter, and he's going to discuss with us his latest book, Honest Advent. It is a mixture of art and reflections that invite contemplation and humor and beauty, and my goodness, it's a book that I'm going to say you need to purchase as I really do believe it will serve you and your friends and your family well in this Advent season. My wife and I are planning to use this around the dinner table with our family uh, throughout Advent. And and so thinking about this year, 2020, this book brings us face to face with the hope and wonder and the healing power this this season offers. Scott Erickson is a touring painter, performance speaker, and creative curate who mixes autobiography, mythology, and aesthetics to create art and moments that speak to our deepest experiences. Using his passion and commitment to craft, Scott has been a working artist for over a decade now, and he has had his work appear on CNN, National Geographic, and various magazine and newspaper outlets and book covers. He is the co-author of Prayer, 40 Days of Practice, and another book titled May It Be So. And today is here to discuss his newest book, Honest Advent, He and his wife live in Austin with their three children, and he is joining us today on the Changing Faith Podcast. Scott, welcome to the podcast. Glad to be here. So first, what should our listeners know about you other than everything I've already told them based off the bio (laughs) that I just read? I wanted to be like Asterix, uh, not a touring uh, performer right now mostly a homebody and I do lots of laundry and dishes and, uh, (laughs) but I'm working on book projects and illustration projects. What is, what are other things? Yeah. I, uh, you know, actually I've been, I've been working through this. I don't have any, uh, real hobbies. So I've been trying to get some hobbies because hobbies are like, what do you do to enjoy being alive? Uh, and like, I have a lot of things I like, but I've been trying to like get really specific on stuff. So, uh, what I started doing is, um, so we moved to Austin right at the beginning of a pandemic. Like we, like when we were packing up our house in Vancouver, Washington, which is across the river from Portland, like it was when States were first closing down, like, like oh, wow. Oregon and Washington and like all like Michigan, all these States started closing down and, uh, and then we, we made it on a plane and came here and we've just been here. Like we, I don't, we haven't left the state since, uh, which it's a big, big, really big state. Uh, <laughs> like really big, like you, I drove so far with some friends the other day and we still, we drove like nine hours and we still weren't out of the state. Um, but, uh, so I've been trying to find ways to connect with the landscape because a lot of the city is closed down still in ways that are, you can't relate to it. So, uh, hiking, biking and I love swimming and it's warm here. And so there's some great natural springs. So one of the things I've been doing is I, I, and I feel like this is like a, <laughs> a mid forties thing, but I was like, I'm buying a swimming wetsuit and I'm going to go down to the local Barton Springs and I'm going to start swimming every week. Like, and it's, it's magical cause it's open water. There's no like lanes or anything. You're just kind of in this open water with all these other swimmers. And, uh, 
I've been meeting all these characters down there who are who've been swimming at Barton Springs like every week for decades, and it's pretty cool. So uh, that that is like one thing I've been adapting to um, to living in a new spot. Yeah, nice, nice. Well, in the midst of your uh, swimming, which you mentioned you had you actually did this morning. I did. This uh, morning. Thanks for being with us. Let, let's talk about the book. Um, I, I told you before we jumped on, I read it twice and I've really, really enjoyed it. Um, but in the introduction to the book, you, you start off by telling and sharing with, with the reader why you, uh, what led you to write a book about Advent. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. Well, it wasn't, it was four years ago, which, and it wasn't too different than now. Um, we found ourselves after an exhausting election cycle, uh, we had we were seeing these images from Syria, multiple mass shootings, Flint water crisis, Zika. Um, so it just like a, a real rough year. Like it, I, and we entered in like post election. It, it just felt like we were all. I don't know. I felt beat up. Like it just was a lot. And I I remember walking into a store. I think it was a Target, and just like you know everything was decorated in Christmas because they like Christmas decorations come earlier and earlier. I think at Home Depot this year I saw them right at the end of October. Right, <laughs> like oh, yeah. Christmas is already up. And 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 it and I had this moment where I I really love and I'll say the brand of Christmas, we can talk about this later, but the brand of Christmas, I really like it. But I just felt like it was so irrelevant to the world I found myself in. I felt like it, it wasn't very hopeful. It felt really cheap and shallow. Uh, not even just the Santa stuff, but even just like the Christian, the imagery from my own Christian tradition felt very like tame, um, and sanitized and safe. And, uh, it, it felt like it didn't have any hope in the world I found myself in. And, and I, I like my deepest prayer at that time was, does Christmas have anything, anything to say about our world now? And we, we were talking earlier, you alluded to something. One of, one of the teaching muses I use uh, for myself is, is to go, the only reason we're telling these old stories is because it didn't just happen back then. They're happening right now. Like that's, Mm if if it wasn't happening now, we would not be telling these stories. So telling them helps illuminate how it's happening in our midst. And that, and that led me to go, are you still Jesus incarnating in our midst? Mm. Um, like what and where, and what does that look like and how? And I, uh, I'm married to a woman and I've, we have three kids. So I've witnessed three pregnancies and births close up and, you know, pregnancy is and birth is amazing and miraculous and wonderful and sacred, but it's very like painful and it's risky and it's got a lot of fluids involved and it's very <laughs> human and biological. And um, I just, I knew like, I don't know, I, my focus started to go, I need a story that has like human grit in it. Uh, like that has like the risk and the vulnerability of a human life. And when I started looking at kind of the biology of the woman and the, and the feminine, I, I, I realized like, oh, yeah, Jesus incarnated through human vulnerability. And that's maybe the same places I can find Jesus incarnating in my life and other people's life is actually through mm. the human vulnerability that we're all <laughs> that we that that is what a human life is like we can't get out of it. And and that and that 
hits on a, a lot of different things of like just changes that have happened in me of, and I'm very much into like Christ is, you know, Chris, Christus Victor that I don't know if I said the Latin, right. Christ is victorious, you know, all of, you know, Christ, the King, all of that stuff. But my journey as a Christian, it has become less and less about victory and more more about sur- surrender and humility. And, mm. um, and, and I, I think there's just like a distaste in my mouth from this kind of like, Christian religious superiority that I, that I think leads to kind of a lot of toxicity. And, and, and so as I've just the changes that have happened to me and finding this like more humble and simple way, like even, even like in, I guess the Christmas story, if you, if you kind of look at it all from victory, overcoming, we win, it, it feels like it, it just feels really bland. But if you look at it from like how much is unknown, how much is vulnerable, what a risk, how scary that was. Then you're like, oh, this is <laughs> this is very poignant to my life. Yeah. Uh, this is very poignant to the life I find myself in. And that mm-hmm. that that is like the shift that happened. So my and as an illustrator artist, I knew for me I needed to come up with like a whole new visual vocabulary. So mm-hmm. I started making the first year I made like three or four illustrations. The next year I made like five or six more. And then this by this end of like last year. I had 20 images and as an author, I was like, if you made five more, that's 25 days. There's, there's a book. And that's, <laughs> and that's, and I put a book to p- proposal together and Zondervan was like, yes, let's do it. So I'm really excited that, and they rushed it, which is great. Cause I like signed the book deal in April. Oh my goodness. Right. And, and they were like, we can get this out by October. So we like hustled it, which is great. Yeah, that's, that's um, some turnaround time. So you, you just mentioned, you used the word sanitize when you were talking about uh, Christmas. And I su- su- suspect this is a little bit of me asking you to offer conjecture or maybe, uh, or be speculative. But why is it in the intro, you refer not only to sanitize characters, but you say they're in this never ending winter scene. And I'm wondering, like, when you think about the brand of Christmas or why we think of Christmas culturally this way, year in and year out. Why, in your experience, do you think we do this? Uh, I mean, I think it's because the well. So when I say like there's like a brand, it means it's not it's it's invented. So there's this kind of invented narrative, and I think it's because the main uh, <laughs> hubs of culture that really influenced uh, Christmas as it is is probably like London, New York City, <laughs> and you know European countries. Uh, where where does St. Nicholas come from? Germany. You know, so there are these, it's this northern hemisphere, uh, these like tales. And then they, and then, you know, Santa's up in the North Pole. So it's like embedded with winter. So like I was talking to this guy who's from New Zealand and uh, he goes, yeah, I'm, to- we're totally influenced by the North American brand. He's like, it's Christmas in New Zealand. It's summer. It's like 95 degrees outside. And yet we still decorate our house with like an evergreen tree. We put fake plastic icicles up, you know, <laughs> and he's like, actually, oh now people are going, why do we do this? This is like, we're like going surfing and we're, it's summertime for us. You know, so there's this like, uh, there's this kind of cultural narrative that then had been visually marketed over and over and over again by countries and places that are in the middle of winter. And so it took this like Middle Eastern story and then like put it into its own context and created all this product out of it and these like narratives. And then I would say even 
and I, 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 you know, I'd have to do a little bit more research to give this, but like to offer a non-Christian narrative about like to take Christmas and then make it like, and I don't want to get on the Kirk Cameron, like put Christmas back in Christ back in Christmas or anything like that. But like, you know, to, to people who want to go be probably influenced by like making money and stuff, but go, I want to de-Christian this holiday, uh, like by offering this, like, gift giving Santa narrative and stuff. It, it just like lends to this kind of every year keeps building on this tradition of like a Northern hemisphere, European, North American kind of thing. And then, uh, and then year after year, after year, after year, and then the songs that stick in your you know mind and heart, whether you like it or not, that are about sleigh bells and snow rides and all this kind of, you know, so then it just becomes like, this is what it is. It's just like compounded on top of itself. And yet this is a story that didn't happen in December. We don't really know, you know, <laughs> like, and it happened in an arid desert, Middle Eastern uh, context. And so it, it just is like, maybe like for myself, I was like, I want to sidestep that whole thing that's been compounding and building over decades and centuries and then look at this story, just go, what's happening between these humans? Like take the brand out of it. Take all the like tinsel and evergreen trees and just go, what's happening to these people? You know, what's happening to these like human beings in this, in this space. And so that, that mm. was it for me. Cause really like the wonder had kind of gone out of the whole thing for me and that, and I wanted to get back to that kind of wonder, which I would define wonder as like, um, uh, wonder is the rapturous experience of being in the moment. Like wonder is that moment when your narratives go away about what's happening. And you're like, Oh, what's happening? You're like, not even, you don't even really have a narrative. You're just caught off guard. And you're like, look at all this happening right now. And, um, and so I wanted to like unknow the narrative so I could get into that wonder again of what was happening. Hmm. Hmm. And, and one of the ways you, and you already mentioned it, but that I, I saw you do this in the book was you you speak in the intro about Mary and women, mm-hmm. including Elizabeth, um, and how they're central to the Christmas story that we find in the Gospels. And you make the observation how often women feel disenfranchised by the Christmas story in our modern Western context. Yeah. And so I feel like this is one example of the way that you did this in your book of how you brought your audience toward the beauty and the power and the strength of the feminine. So can you talk a little bit about that and how you um, really almost made that central to, to the book itself? Yeah. I, so my first like three illustrations were all pregnancy illustrations uh, (laughs) with like, you know, showing Jesus like kind of in the womb and you see, you know, the vagina, you see, boobs that are different sizes because that happens and like it's not this sexualized aesthetic it is this like what i i would describe as just like i bared witness like when we were pitching this book around one publisher was like why is this guy talking about pregnancy you know it's like <laughs> it's true i'm not trying to take i'm not trying to take any uh woman's like uh, way that she wants to tell her own story. But I have bared witness. I live alongside a woman. I live alongside a, a woman who's a mother and a wife and, and I'm a parent and I've, I've bared witness to her experience. And I wanted to like, say, this is what I saw that was true. Um, mm. And so I, I showed, I made these illustrations about these kind of these very like, just kind of 
honest pregnancy. And, uh, and I posted it on Instagram, like I do to check it out. And I had this like overwhelming response of affirmation from women who said, I don't feel like I've ever really seen myself in the story until now. Like I, you kind of, you like what you depicted is more true to my experience. And that led me to go interesting. Probably that's because most of the imagery created about the nativity was painted by men or created by men who, you know, wanted to sanitize it in some way. Because, you know, when you have a baby and they hand you that like ugly alien <laughs> thing after it comes out, that doesn't make really good art. So, you know, that's why Jesus looks like he's three months old. He's been washed. He's starting to sleep through the night. You know, like it's, he's his. No he, crying he made. He can hold his, he can hold his head up, you know, like, yeah, because that floppy little thing that they give you wouldn't make a nice painting in a church. So, uh, so there's some of that, but then that also led to my own experience and my own kind of journey to go, wow, like I've been a part of a religious tradition that has, uh, that has partaken in diminishing, uh, women as, uh, an avenue for, I guess, like sacred authority. Um, mm. it, it has, mm. it has taken verses from the Bible and said, look, your body, uh, was the cause for uncleanliness. <laughs> you know, like you have on your period, you have to go outside the camp, you know? And so kind of took that and then used that to leverage, I guess, a male dominance. It has taken verses to go, women shouldn't talk or teach. And so then it's kind of eradicated uh, or worked really hard to eradicate a female voice in a community. Mm. And even I grew up in a context that was like, hey, especially when I started getting into church leadership, which is like, I'm sorry, I can't ride in an elevator with you or ride in a car with you by myself because I'll want to have sex with you. You're the problem. And so, you know, and it, 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 it is from this place of power and dominance, it was always diminishing female biology. And, hmm. and as I engaged in this kind of wonder activity, I was like right here in the, in the text is God incarnating through the wonder of female biology, being Mary being asked to do this unique thing. And so it, I wanted to, I guess, uh, as a man, I wanted to offer, uh, a different, you know, like not that I needed to mansplain anything, but I did want to add something that was against centuries of male diminishing. And I wanted to give, uh, uh alongside, uh, like, a, I guess a, a male, uh, praise or affirmation of this. I wanted to like offer something like that. So that, that was really, that was completely intentional on my part. Once after a couple of years, like after a couple of advents of doing this and really going, what is happening? Why are women responding so much to this? And it, I felt like I was tripping into this larger conversation, which then at the time, like in Portland, I was a part of this church called Cascade, um, a great community. Um, I was one of like 12 teacher, like people on the teaching team, mostly women, mostly people of color, and, uh, that those couple years being a part of that team, uh, was really enlightening to me, uh, to work with other women. And, and, and then <laughs> I probably like all around this time too, I became friends with a lot of like women pastors and they would share like the just awful things they get. the really like diminishing emails and texts and messages from people who, if they say anything that's like smart or really, you know, immediately goes, it's your biology that's the problem. 
That's it's never like, mm. hey, your thoughts are interesting, but I disagree. It's like you're a woman and you're wrong. You know, like and, yeah. and that's a very that's something that I don't have to deal with uh, mm-hmm. as a man. And so to really like hear that is like it's not even your ideas that get cut down. It's immediately to you as who you are incarnated as is the problem. And yeah. that uh, that is a, like that is a particular pain that as I be- became friends with uh, female ministers that I was allowed into, like, I'm really glad they allowed me into that particular pain. But uh, yeah, that was just that, that, that kind of tied into the whole thing, I guess. Hmm. Yeah. You know, as I, as I listened to you, I was reminded um, that, you know, we talk about Mary, obviously she is central to the, to the birth narrative and to the Christmas story. And even more so um, Joseph, her fiance. Yeah. He, what he's actually called to do yeah. is to go against the clear teachings of his religion yeah. and to embrace this woman who in his context, she, it's, she's the one who's at fault here. Yeah. And so there's almost this power of like, he's betraying his faith as a way of being faithful to it. He's yeah. practicing infidelity as a way to show fidelity to, to the larger narrative that's going on. Yeah. Um, and it's just that, I'm going to sit with that because I, when you, you said something and I was like, Oh my goodness, wait a second. Joseph isn't the hero. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, he actually would have been the villain in his context. Yeah. And in being the villain, so to speak, maybe that's too strong of a word. Uh, he actually goes on with this story that platforms Mary, who, as she said, every generation except for Protestants will call <laughs> me blessed. Um, but talk to me a little bit about the, the art that you put in the book. Um, cause there's, there's 25 images. Yeah. Um, and, and what do you want the images to do for the reader? Mm, well, I think a great, I think I say this in the intro. I mean, I, I think often if people, uh, if you're new to like engaging in art, a starter question is always like, what does this mean? You know, that's a fine question. But I, I think one of the functions that art has that's really helpful is that what we can ask is, what is this pulling out of me? What is this excavating out of me? And that's an interesting function that art can do. That's why <laughs> if you feel uncomfortable, but that's like, if you feel uncomfortable at an art gallery, but if you go with some people and they'll stand in front of the painting and be like, what do you get out of this? You know, it's like, it, it feels like really bougie, but it actually is like, what's interesting about it is that it, it starts to excavate your own life and, and you start to find your connection to this story that's going on. So that's what I think is really interesting about a function of art. So I wanted to offer that to go, <clears throat> what is this, how is this like pulling something out of you, pulling you into this story? And then also I knew that because there's such this juggernaut of a brand, which is Christmas, I needed to offer some kind of alternative visual vocabulary to the whole thing to, to, to counteract the never ending winter scene. Even like I talk (laughs) about like Mary, it's never recorded anywhere that she's on a donkey that she, it's, it's, it's okay for us to, surmise that that was a possibility but if if you want to get really literal it's not in the text and yet every image is of like joseph walking pregnant mary on a donkey and you're like that's invented you know like so what and this is part of like a larger thing of me being an artist 
and uh, growing up in Protestantism. And so kind of always feeling like I didn't really have a place. Um, but as I like started like learning other traditions that can be found in Catholic and Orthodox traditions, um, I started going, and this isn't a bad thing. It's like, everything's invented. Like it's all made up. Like we don't really know what people wore back then. We can guess because of archeology span and what's found that they probably wore like clothing and, you know, I guess like a sheet, like ponchos with a rope tied around it. You know, I guess that's what they wore <laughs> back then. But like nobody really knows for sure. We can only just guess from what remnants were left there. And when you see image imagery, you and that is familiar to you, and you're like, oh, this is what it looked like. It's like that's all uh predicated on some kind of like assumptions. That's just like somebody illustrated it one way. And then somebody's like, yeah, that. And then like, they've, you know, they found this, uh, skull at that, what they guess was at the time of Jesus. And have you seen this? And they like did the whole thing where they put all the skin and stuff. And they're like, this is maybe oh, what yeah. Jesus looks like. And you look at it and you're like, that's not what Jesus looks like, <laughs> you know? <laughs> and, and then at you, least he wasn't white I know. when they did that. <laughs> and then you go, well, why is, why do I think that's not what Jesus looks like? And it's because I've seen a thousand paintings that are all kind of built off the presumption of what Jesus should look like or what you know what it's built on the tradition of one another so um kind of understanding that i knew that like in order to like reawaken this i needed to offer something that i try to confront the cliche of all the stuff that i thought looked like christmas and i wanted to make something that didn't look like christmas at all but still looked sacred and still looked like liturgical or mythical or um or even some of it just kind of like very ordinary you know, like mm. th that was also a goal is just to be like, I think there's one that's just like of a, it's like somebody's just wiping a baby's bottom, <laughs> you know, yeah. and just like, yeah. cause that's a, I do that too, or it just depends how much my son's pooping, but you know, that happens multiple times a day for me still. That's a, that's a, that's a everyday occurrence when you have a toddler or a baby. Um, and that there was a good section of Jesus's life where somebody was wiping his butt all the time, you know, and that was like part of the human experience. So it's that kind of ordinariness, um, which, and I, maybe we'd get into this, but that's one of the, one of the chapters is talking about what, what makes something sacred and mm. why do we make things sacred? Um, which is, you know, something happened in our midst that we were like, that was really special. And so then in order to remember how special it was, we like usually gloss it up, put some gold leaf on it, you know, take a, maybe some of the like, like not nice parts of it, but we want to cherish it. And that's fine. And that's totally understandable and, and probably necessary work. But what happens is as we slowly do that, we start taking it away from that. It's a possibility that that same sacred moment could happen in my messy life. And in your messy life, when we start cleaning things up, we go, yeah, but I, that couldn't happen to me because I'm such a mess or my life isn't cleaned up like that. And that, and I think that progresses this kind of divided divided spirituality did this divided life. And I wanted to like bring that part of my work as a spiritual director. And just as a, as a person of faith has been to go like actually sacred moments happen in the midst of all of these like messy, complicated, or just like, I don't even like that terminology. It's just a human life. A human life is filled mm -hmm. with these kinds of rawness and, and uh, the sacred and the biology altogether. So, Yeah. Oh man, I love that. Yeah, so often it's like where what's subtly caught and taught is we have to look for this the divine mystery outside of the experience. 
um, yeah. outside of the normal. So we have to have these moments, our quiet time. And if we don't have that, we're not going to see it. Instead of recognizing that these spiritual practices are actually teaching us to see it in the ordinary. This yeah. is what I hear you saying. Yeah, yeah. Um, oh, I love that. Let me do this. We, um, I, I mentioned, I've read the book twice. Um, Thank you. <laughs> and <laughs> It's not long, but you know. No, it's not. And I could honestly, I w- when I was putting together um, the podcast, I was like, I could ask him questions about every chapter. Mm. Now there's 25 of those. So I figured for the sake of, uh, I don't know, expedience yeah. um, that I'd love to just read a, a couple of my favorite lines and yeah. ask you to respond to what you've written. Okay. Yeah. Um, and I'm assuming you'll remember most of what you've written. Yeah. Uh, the first one's from chapter four and you talked about this a little bit and maybe you can even reflect a little bit on the sacred, which is what you've just talked about. But chapter four is titled vulnerability. Uh, and you write this. What does it say about a God who's willing to be this vulnerable with us? Who's willing to come into this world through the statistical risk of childbearing? who's willing to be attached by a placenta for nourishment and life to its own creation, who's willing to wait and grow in the human womb, who's willing to be fearfully and wonderfully made just like we are. Any real connection involves vulnerability because it takes the act of making oneself open to be truly known. God came to us floating in embryonic fluids, slowly forming and taking shape. Embedded in the uterine wall of a Middle Eastern teenage woman, it trusted to care for its fragile knitting process. Yeah. <laughs> wow. That's beautiful and poetic. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you just want me to comment on that? Like what? I, yeah. I think what because what I, yeah. It, rather than ask you a question, like just, just that. I, I mean, uh, Mike McHarg, a science Mike, uh, gave me a really nice endorsement. And he just said, Scott's not trying to like answer mystery, just invite you into it. So there, there's a bit mm-hmm. of it where it's like, I pose all these questions and then I'm like, I, you figure out the answers for yourself. I think just, I think to stay in the like mystery of that, I, I, I think Advent's a weird, it's not, here, here has been for me as a person who's been a part of church and who's been a leader and who like helps lead. um, I do understand that there is this kind of uh, lacking payoff of Christmas and Easter. Like Advent (laughs) is like, it's going to be Christmas day. He's here. And then we look around and we're like, I don't see a baby. And then, (laughs) you know, Lent is this, and then Easter is like, he's risen. And you're like, I don't see I don't see Jesus. You know, there is this kind of, we, we, we do these liturgical things to kind of evoke this. Uh, we're trying to get there. And then on the day it comes, we're like, but I still don't see it. Mm. You know, I still don't see it happening. And that is part of the weirdness we have, which is our faith is a spirituality is this kind of invisibleness to the whole thing. I'm a Christian you know, actually, this is this is what I say to people a lot. It's like, I'm a Christian because of the resurrection. I'm actually a Christian a lot because of the shortest verse in the Bible, which is Jesus wept. Mm. Because uh, if there was a story about the divine incarnating into human life, and there wasn't a scene of that human 
crying at their friend's funeral, like I've done and I'm sure you've done, then I wouldn't believe it because I would be like, you didn't, you were, um, you were isolated. You, you, uh, you like, uh, what's the word you separated yourself. You ink, I don't know. <laughs> I'm an author guys. Uh, no, I get <laughs> you, you like, you separated yourself from having to really be a part of this all. Mm. You insulated yourself. That's what I meant to say. And so I'm, I'm a, that the story I found in the Holy scriptures has become true. And it's not only just these cognitive conclusions, there are these embodied experiences, which also I've had like mystical experiences where I've experienced something larger than reality, my perceived reality. I've experienced the presence of Jesus that was human and more than all human experiences all at the same time. And so there's this like thing that's, it's a bit too hard. To, it's hard to put a finger on. It's hard to like really quantify, but it transformed me. And um, so I think with Advent, like we're not going to get to December 25th and then like we'll pass around a newborn Jesus. It's kind of what we were alluding to before you said it about spiritual practices is like uh, the examine is the practice to go, Hey, where did you see God at work today in your life? And you probably, it's probably, it's plausible that you went through your whole day and you're like, nothing divine happened. It was just boring and ordinary. But the examine goes, are you sure? It, it, it's pointing to like the little things that maybe that's where God is involved in. And I would say like what Honest Advent is pointing to is to go, let's look at all the vul our vulnerable places as like maybe the, the divine was right there. We just didn't really witness mm. it. I would say like, Here's one thing about what's helpful about Advent is this is a mystery to just kind of contemplate is like the way that God, this, and it even says this, like, you know, the silence of God for 400 years, and then God incarnates into the world. And God starts the conversation by saying, uh, I'm going to need you to take care of me for a really long time. Mm. That's how I'm going to start the conversation. <laughs> Not like, hey, I got all these things to say and change. It's like, I'm going to start with you tending to my existence. Mm. And and that and I'm going to live in that for a really, that's how I'm going to start the conversation. That, and, and that is, and that's endlessly fascinating yeah. to me. It's almost how Jesus ends it too. When he says, it's better yeah. that I leave yeah. It's better that I go. You're going to do better things than me. You're going to do greater things than me. Yeah. Um, yeah. Oh, all right. Let me read the second, second uh, one from chapter 10 titled Virgin. And there you speak of paradox. And when I say paradox, I'll use your definition. Two seemingly contradictory truths existing in the same space and time. And so you write this. You said the function of a paradox is not to find the solution to seemingly opposing truths but to be transformed by living in the middle mystery of them. Your transformation throughout life will be a paradox. Yeah. I heard this uh, conversation with Parker Palmer, oh, yeah. uh, author, Quaker leader. And he said uh, at the, he's like at the core of my Christianity is a paradox. It's this idea of Jesus is man and God at the same time. And it's, it's almost, it's hard. Nobody can explain it. We just, but we live into that mystery of, of that mystery kind of unfolding in our midst all the time. And, uh, 
Yeah. And I, I think in that, uh, in the uh, Virgin chapter, the, what I uh, bring up is like, we have agency to do things to help, con- I guess, not control, uh, control our lives, but also to like, have our lives transform. We're, we have agency to transform. Like I can, I could, I could set about doing push-ups every day and sit-ups every day. And I would see a, you know, change, you know, like engaging in these like activities or I'm going to learn, I'm going to read a book. I'm going to watch less trashy TV and read more books. You know, like you have agency to do things. And yet there's this other aspect of our lives where kind of the things that change us the most are things that we are things, moments we weren't really in charge of. Mm. Like, uh, and my spiritual director asked me one time, he said, Scott, who is the author and perfecter of your faith? I was like, well, according to the scriptures, it's Jesus, right? And he's like, how are you trusting that author and perfecter of your faith? Like, what? how do you let that aspect of this truth, like, do you trust that, like, that the, there's providence or that the Almighty is looking after your life? That is actually, if you allow him to, he's in charge of this kind of way of growing and changing in the world. And so we live in the paradox of that, which is, I think uh, it's like, I'm going to make some decisions, but also, and Mary says it best, like, maybe so, like, what do you want to do with me? How do you, where do you want me to go? And, and throughout, it's not like it's, it's I think sometimes we give it like, well, I didn't hear anything from God today. You know, like maybe it's not like an everyday thing, but all of a sudden this thing will happen. And you're like, everything's different now. Mm. And I'm, I'm being asked to show up for how everything is transforming. And I think that as now in my mid forties, I can see like, oh yeah, that, that is going on in my life too, as well as, are you going to eat a lot of nachos today? Or would you choose a salad? That's a choice you have to make today, Scott, you know, obviously all my, all my metaphors right there were about working out and food. So maybe I'm just like getting COVID fat. I don't know. That's what, that's what the yeah, I was going to ask what's going, going on there. Cause I, I, nachos for me, just FYI. Uh, well, nachos are a doorway to the divine. So I get, it, but like, <laughs> they're also a gateway drug for me, but that's a whole other thing. Um, well, let me read the last one. This is from chapter 18. It's titled with and I, I, I'm reading this one, especially um, for all of us, um, including the listeners, in light of 2020 and how it feels like all that has transpired this year has stripped us of the illusion of control and certainty. Uh, and in this chapter, you point to that. You speak of how there are all sorts of things, powers and forces and presences that make an impact on our lives, whether we like it or not. And so you write this. There is so much we don't have control over and it will change us no matter what, what we do have is the agency to respond to these forces, the ability to decide how we are going to let them change us for better or for worse. And so you already alluded to it, but can you share more about what you're learning in real time about this, especially in this surreal season that uh, Mm. we're living through that just seems to be keep, keep going on and on and on. Yeah. Um, I think what's hard about the season that we're in um, is that there is kind of no end in sight. I mean, I know we have some like possible vaccinations that are on the horizon uh, and that maybe gives us an idea. I don't know if you're familiar with this book. I'm showing Lost Connection by Johan Hari. This is one of the best books I've read in the last decade. It's about depression 
but it's really about disconnection Hmm. and how we've been coming disconnected as human beings and how like his premise and and other authors have come up with the same conclusion is that there's not more mental health problems in the world. Uh, It's just that our society is becoming sicker and sicker and we're, and less of us are knowing how to like survive in that sick society. Uh, And uh, I think so one of the he he uncovers nine he he submits that there's nine causes for depression and one of them is uh and they're all disconnections and one of them is a, a disconnection from a hopeful and secure future hmm. and so I think that's where we're at right now is like none of us know how to make plans I have I have two hundred and seventy thousand miles. <laughs> on Southwest Airlines that I don't know what to do with. Like I'm not pulling the trick because you know I'm like I travel, I speak, and it's like uh there's nothing on the horizon for that. Just sit on it. There's there's kind of like, should we go on vacation? Where would we go? Will that state be closed down? Will we be able to get back? You know, there's all this, we don't know how to make decisions. We're just kind of stuck. And that agency feels like that's taken away from mm. us. Like so much feels like we've had to had those taken away. And I think in the, in the chapter with, I have my book open because I know there was one uh, quote, which is, uh, I think Jesus, like God, the, I think in there I, I say something uh, of like, I could, you know, like Jesus came, like Jesus was born. And I guess the question is like, uh, it's not the question is, do you believe it or not? Um, do you think, I think the real question is like, does God want to change us for the better or for worse through the gift of this incarnation? Mm. Like, I think sometimes a church is like the prophet is like, Jesus was born. What are you going to do with that? And, and that's fine. Cause I think there's like trying to get you to sign up to become a member. I think the real question is like, is God like, does God want to change us for the better? Like, is that, is that what we're seeing? The, you know, there are plenty of people who are smarter than me to describe all this, but like, this happened and there's a lot of it that we're not in control of. And there's a lot of things being taken away. We were talking about earlier how hard it is to run churches and be a part of a community. And when like the best part of it is being together and we're having a hard time doing that. Uh, my hope for this time is, uh, is that when we get back together, cause we will, is that what we'll been able to do is learn how to trust the the portal the doorway the connecting point inside each one of us that can connect with god mm. and that that maybe that that like i the way that i've been talking about it with people is to say like uh somehow and this is a metaphor but you have like a telephone inside of you that can talk to the divine who gave you that telephone did you go pick it up did you go <laughs> did somebody come and give it and put it inside of you or were you just all of a sudden you noticed that you had a way to talk to God? And so, uh, and then thinking about this in like evangelism and stuff, cause I come from a family of missionaries. And so I've seen like good and bad sides of that. But I think some of the evangelism is like people thought that what they needed to do was go other places and give out telephones, mm. but that's ridiculous. Nobody gave you. So could you go and, and what does it mean then to like go, Hey, I have this telephone. Do you have that telephone? Do you ever answer that call? What is that conversation like? You know, yeah. it's less about, and I think that's actually how I've grown in spirituality is, is not like spirituality is not getting God's attention. Spirituality is awakening to the work of God already in our lives mm. and the presence of God. And so I think in this time, 
My hope is to go, how is Jesus already with us? Jesus's name is God with us. And we just often think about God and us, but what about with, like, Mm. how is Christ with this, with like, uh, having limited decisions to make, having forces uh, affect us without our control over it. How, like, what does it mean to have a telephone inside of us that can talk to God? Uh, and, and how does that play out every day? You know, those are more of the questions that I have to, that I, like, I come to, I have to deal with every day, not in like deal with it, like I have to, but like when I wake up in the morning, I'm like, what is today? You know, in, instantly I start talking to God about my day before I get distracted by my phone. Mm. <laughs> but, you know, like that is the, um, I hope that the, the, if there is a fruit, uh, if there is, uh, some good that's come out of this, like forcible slowing down or forcible, um, clearing away of all the, the, the busyness and the noise that can happen is that we learn to trust the phone that's inside of Mm. us. And when we come back together, we bring that wisdom and that maturity back to the group. And that, 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 that's what, that's one place that I think I, that there could be a real gift from this time. Mm. Yeah. What would you say your hope is for readers of honest Advent? Um, I, I hope to give words to what you've kind of been feeling for years Mm. (laughs) that, that there was this, um, that you were asked to emotionally or cheerfully embody something that you stopped feeling a long time ago. And, And what your deepest heart's desire was, was to have, was to find Christ in your midst, was to have wonder about this, that it would that you would see that this wasn't a story just happening back then, but it's still happening now. Um, and that, and, and what I've been finding and it's really humbling and, and I'm very honored by it, but is to, is to just go, you weren't alone in how you felt about this. Like a lot of us were, and you didn't, you weren't on the side that was like, I got to make this about <laughs> this religion, this holiday about Christianity. It was more of like just the deepest desires. Like I want to, I want to like, make this thing sacred. I want to give honor to it, but I want to see that it's like, I, I say this in the book, like is Christmas a memorial service or is it a birthday party? Is it something that happened back then? And we were like, wasn't that great? Or is it something that's still happening now? And I would say, if you go to any church and you ask the kids whose birthday is it, they'll go Jesus. So it infers that it's still happening now. It's a, it's a party that's still happening now. And I want to experience how Christ is coming into my midst in my life and with my family and in my neighborhood and my community and all of that. So that, that's, that's what I hope readers find is that it's a, it's happening still. Hmm. Yeah. Well, man, four years, that's a lot of work, a lot of time and effort. And I'm so, (laughs) I'm sincerely glad you did it. Um, really where, where can our listeners find you online? Yeah. I mean, I'm Scott the Painter on all social media. Instagram is where I'm mostly at. Uh, and then my website is Scott Erickson Art, but you can get there from Scott the Painter. And then Honest Advent, uh, the website is honestadvent.com and it's available everywhere uh, that people are selling books. Um, but those are the places to connect with me. Perfect. And I'll put those, for those of you listening, I'll put links to Scott in the notes uh, of this episode. So Scott, my friend, Um, I look forward to another conversation 
at some point, whenever that is, whatever it's about, either yeah. here on the podcast <laughs> or elsewhere. But sincerely, yeah. thank you for making time to be here on the Changing Faith Podcast. Yeah, man, it's been great. Thank you. And thank all of you for joining with us today. And as you know, I don't often give direct advice or tell you what to do. I've already done that at the beginning, and I'll do it again. Please uh, go buy the book. And I'm not just saying that because Scott's desperate to sell books. Uh, it really is a wonderful um, guide for Advent. And I know that I'm, I'm excited to use this daily for myself and for my family. And in this season uh, of not only Advent, but in this season of 2020, my prayer is for each of us is that we would discover and rediscover the awe and the wonder and the power of this season. When, when the divine mystery was knit together in the womb of an unwed Mediterranean peasant girl, coming to us in naked vulnerability, and in doing so, showing us what has always been true, that God has always been with us. May you have eyes to see that in this season. And that, my friends, is it for today. Many thanks again to Scott for this book and wishing all of you a happy start to the Advent season. And so until next time, as always, much love and peace be with you.